Hey, good morning, New Life. Thank you so much for tuning online today. My name is Chin. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm the worship and creative pastor here at New Life Fellowship. Thank you so much for tuning online. We're so glad that you're able to worship with us today. Now, if you have been with us for a while, we've been going over uh, a brand new series called Angel Stories. And, and it is about a story where we, we see different characters in the Bible where they have different encounters with the angels as they prepare the way of the Lord. And today, uh, you might be familiar with this story, but we'll be talking about uh, the wise men. Now, before we kind of jump into today's text, I just want to give a quick update and just a couple of announcements for you. Uh, the first is that after 1130, uh, 11.30 service at 1 p.m., we'll have our newcomer Zoom meeting. So if you're new here with us at New Life, and if you are wanting to figure a little bit more about uh, who we are, what the church is about, um, we would love to meet you. Pastor Eric will be there, Pastor Kenny will be there, and some of our church members will be there as well. Now today at 5 p.m. we'll have our Vision Sunday. Uh, if you called this uh, place, a New Life Fellowship, your home, uh, we want to invite you guys to come out to this meeting with us. We'll be talking about uh, all the God, things that God has done in the year 2020. And as we look forward to 2021, we'll be expecting of all that God will do. So we'll kind of talk about our budget and the vision for 2021 as well. So please come out. We'll love to see you guys there. Now, with that being said, uh, let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. Uh, we'll start to look at from verse 1 through 13. And if you have your Bibles with you, please rise as we read of God's word. Matthew chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, a wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophets. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men from, uh, secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Then going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt for, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. This is the word of God. Thanks be to him. Let's all pray together. Dear God, we thank you so much for um, 
today's word. And God, as we just uh, dive into all that you have in store for us, God, would your spirit just illuminate the word um, and the truth to us so that we may really uh, take in your word as the word of life. So Father, Lord, our hearts are open, our ears are open. Uh, we're pressing into your spirit. So God, speak to every single one of us today. Uh, use me, a weak vessel of yours, uh, to preach your message uh, faithfully uh, today. So God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As usual, um, <clears throat> we will have uh, three points for today. Um, and here are the three points that we'll be going over. First, the first point is who is the, who the gospel isn't for? Who the gospel isn't for? The second point is who the gospel is for. And the last and final point will be the response to the gospel. Now let's dive into our first point, who the gospel isn't for. Now, this past summer, um, I had the opportunity to go to Maryland to visit my mother-in-law uh, and my sister-in-law, um, just, uh, just to family visit. Um, and on the, on the very last day, um, as I was in Maryland, as I was just kind of prepared, preparing to come back to Seattle, they decided to just take a day off to, um, you know, give me a tour around uh, downtown Maryland. <clears throat> now, um, during this time, it was very, very hot. I mean, it was 98 degrees hot. I mean, if you know anything about Maryland, um, their, their humidity level is just it's through the roof. Now, you know, I, I didn't complain because just the fact that I got to spend time with my family was just was just an, uh, such an opportunity for me because we don't get to have that quite often. Now, we parked the car five minutes away, and we walked about five minutes to the restaurant that they made a reservation for. Uh, we, we sat outside in a 98-degree weather, eating a Mexican food, and you know how ladies are. No matter how hot it is, they want to sit outside because it looks beautiful. So as a great husband, I, I sat outside in 98-degree weather eating, you know, fajitas and chips and guac, right? And so right after, you know, we, we had a wonderful meal. Everything was cool. Everything was great. You know, it was time for me to kind of, you know, it was time for us to go back so that I could catch a plane to Seattle. Now, as we were kind of make, uh, making our way back to our car, you know, you know you are not going into the right direction whenever you start to cross the bridges that you have never crossed before or you're, you're walking on sidewalks that you actually never walked before. Now, I, I told you earlier that we only parked five minutes away. But now, whenever I am, by this point, we were already 30 minutes into our walk. Now, at that time, my son and I, we kind of lost our patience. And, and, and carefully, we brought it up to my wife. And we both asked the question, are you sure we are going the right way? Uh, my wife, who is so loving and so gracious, turned around and replied, Yes, I know where I'm going, so leave me alone. Just follow me. Now, now we, I, we don't want to say anything. We followed her. We followed her for like another 15 minutes. It was after about 45 minutes after we went all around uh, uh, where we parked to finally arrive at our car. Now, I've, now when we have this conversation, um, though she finally admits that she was wrong, um, even though she knew all along that she was going the wrong way, but she was actually too prideful to admit to us that there was a better way, that, there, that in fact, me and my son were correct. Now, the reason why I kind of talk about this uh, story is because this is where we actually find ourselves uh, in today's passage. 
we see the wise men who have come from the east come before King Herod asking this one question, where is he, Jesus, who has been born the king of the Jews? But like my wife, when Herod is asked this question by the wise men, he is not delighted. But, but rather in verse 3, it says that he was what? He was troubled. Now, we have to ask, why was he troubled? Now, before we go on, I just want to give you a little bit of like a historical fun fact about Herod. Herod in, in history is known to be one of the worst tyrant kings Israel had ever had. Now, many scholars say that he was ostentatious, meaning he built a super big, showy palaces and temples with his name all over it. I mean, talk about a person who is full of themselves, right? Now, most of all, one of the things that uh, Herod is notoriously known for is that he was psychotically paranoid about losing his power and his authority. So what he did to preserve his power and authority, he had his wife killed because he thought that his wife was conspiring against him. And for a good measure on top of that, he, he had her mom and her brother killed as well. Now, after this incident, a few years later, he actually killed all three of his sons for the exact same reason. In response to this, it's kind of funny because a Roman emperor who is known to be the most violent in this time says that it will be better to be Herod's pig than one of his sons, right? Now, can you see why he was so troubled? See, birth of Jesus, unlike, uh, unlike to us, it wasn't a good news to him. In fact, it was a threat uh, to, the, to his position of power. See, a person who killed even his own will not be delighted to hear that there is a newborn king who was born. If anyone should know about the coming king, it should be Herod. He is the king of the Jews. He is the king of the chosen people of God. But yet, whenever he hears about this, he doesn't rejoice, but yet he suppresses the truth because he feels as if his life is threatened. So how does Herod respond when his authority and his power is challenged? He does everything that he can to preserve it. We see this in verse 8. It says, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I too may come and worship him. Now, we know that this is not true. See, what Herod does, he pretends worship, but he intends murder. He does not want anybody or anyone to take his throne. He is terrified that his throne is going to be taken away because there's this new king and he wants to kill Jesus. Right? The right king, the righteous king would have rejoiced to hear that there is a king of kings and the prince of, uh, prince of peace uh, is born. But what Herod wants to do is actually ignore all of that, but to kill him. He sees Jesus not as a friend, not as a helper, not as a Lord, but he sees Jesus as his mortal enemy. See, Herod was more interested in saving his throne rather than saving his soul. And what he wanted was the preservation of his power and his throne. Now, before we go any further, I want to stop here and ask us this question. When you are faced with the truth of the gospel, how do you respond? How do you respond? 
When you hear the gospel, when you hear Sunday messages or whenever you do your devotion, do you surrender to God or do you suppress God and his truth? Let me ask you a different question. Does this truth, it change you or does it offend you? Do you consider the truth or do you ignore it and do you suppress it? It is so true often than not that we often know what is right. We know what God wants us to do, but yet we suppress the truth within ourselves. We often say, yeah, I know, but I mean, I like Jesus, but I don't want, I have no plans to making any changes for him in my life. Yeah, I know I shouldn't, but Paul describes this kind of phenomenon in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, saying that truth is plain, but we suppress it. See, what does this mean? It means that in us, it it exists in us, is our natural ability not to obey God, but to reject Him. See, it is so easy whenever we read this story, especially about Herod, it is so easy to just look at it like, oh, that does not apply to me. What a bad guy. And we kind of skimp over the whole lesson in and of itself. But we have to understand that there exists in all of us a hostility towards God, just like Herod. See, by nature, we are opposed to God. We are not by nature indifferent to Jesus. We're antagonistic towards him. We do not appreciate his rule in our, in our lives by our nature. We don't want his government. We don't want his rules. We don't want his opinions, right? See, we might not say it with our mouth particularly, but the choices that we make in our lives when it comes to family, our job, and our pay, whatever it may be, it shows that we know better than God. See, by nature, God is dead to us and we are immune to him. See, how many of the days have we lived knowing that we shouldn't abuse our wives, we shouldn't abuse our kids, we shouldn't watch pornography, we shouldn't have premarital sex, but we we choose to do it anyways. We, by nature, do not want Jesus because Jesus himself represents the highest threat to our sinful desires of what I want, of what I need, and what I want to do. It is all about me, 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 and it's like we're all like the seagulls and finding Nemo. My, 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 mine. It is about me, 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 me. It is about my, 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 mine. But the hard truth is that the gospel isn't for those who only care about self-gain, self-preservation, self-worship, self-focus of what I want, what's in it for me, what do I want to do, and what I need. If, for instance, if you are only interested in this, you, you know why the gospel, you, if you're only interested in this, you know why the gospel may not be for you? If you're only interested in self-gain and self-preservation, the gospel may not be for you. Why? Because Christ himself tells us the exact opposite of self-anything. Luke chapter 9, 23, it says this, and he says to all, if anyone will come after me, let him what deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. To take up your cross and follow me, to deny yourself that it is not about I, but it's about him. 
This is why for some of us, for many of us, and even for myself, gospel message could be the worst news of all. Because it is actually a front to all your desires, hopes, and dreams. See, as growing up, one of, the, one of my favorite games to play uh, in my youth group was actually musical chairs. Now, if you don't know what musical chair is, uh, I'm sorry you've been living under a rock, but you got to try this out. It's a great game. But, uh, you know, there's a select song, you move around, there's a group of people. And, and the whole point is you just, you know, you just kind of go around the chair, um, run around the chair as the music is playing. And as soon as the music stops, you know, it is your job to sit on one of them um, as fast as you can. And the last man standing, last one to fight for that one last chair is the winner of the game. I mean, I love that game because, you know, like it's so it's so crazy to see how people would like give up their lives to go after this one chair. You see people diving, like you, be, you see people like ripping their hair. Like you see, you, you see YouTube clips of all of that, right? I mean, talk about like fighting over the final, final chair. The reason why I talk about this game is because ironically, so many of us are actually playing musical chairs with God. See, we're fighting with God to see who will take the seat upon my life. See, there are things in your life where you let God sit in the chair, but there are many things in your life right now where you take the throne to rule over your life. See, I remember as I was just graduating from high school, you know, I was kind of contemplating of, of, of what to do with my life, of what kind of major I want to be. So during that time, like every other Asian parent forcefully suggested um, that I try out uh, uh, becoming a pharmacist. Now, for me, I didn't hate that idea because, you know, um, just the fact that I get to stand in one place, make medicine, uh, be a good person, and make crazy amount of money and repeat and repeat, repeat. I did not care. So around this idea of me becoming a pharmacist, I built my whole life around it, of the, of the family I wanted, of the house that I was gonna, I, I wanted to live in, of the cars that I was gonna, of the, uh, I was gonna drive, that I was gonna make so much money that I was gonna be rolling in dough, like uh, the fantasy of all of that, right? But in the middle of my planning, in the middle of me preparing to go to pharmacy school, God intervened into my life saying, no, you're not going to go to pharmacy school. You're going to go to seminary. You're going to work for me and my kingdom. You're not going to drive a BMW or a Mercedes Benz. In fact, you're going to drive a minivan and follow after me, right? Whenever I heard that, it was not a good news, right? All I heard from that is like, what, you want me to drive minivan? Like, get behind me, Satan. Like, that's not of the Lord, right? Shout out to all those people who have minivan. I, I thank the Lord I don't have a minivan. But anyways, but anyways, the reason why I was so opposed to God was because I didn't want Jesus to dictate my life and what he wanted me to do and how I should live my life. But he was saying all along, he's saying to all of us, in fact, this morning, that there is, in fact, a better way to life, and there's a better way to live, and that is him, Jesus Christ. The hard truth of the gospel is that unless we give up playing musical chairs with God and give him the throne, he could never be God over your life. He will always be that side chick or that side bro that you only call to put on a pedestal whenever you need him. See, the truth is that he doesn't only want to be your friend, 
though he is. He doesn't only want to be your hero, though he is. He wants to be your God. Jeremiah 30, 22, it says this, so you will be my people and I will be your God. This is a deep desire of the Father that he wants to be your God. See, whenever we think about letting Jesus and God into our lives, we are only calculating of all the things that we may lose, but we're not thinking about all that we could gain. What we're gaining is the treasure of heaven, Jesus himself. And there's nothing, there's nothing in this world that is more valuable than the God of the universe himself. He offers himself to us. The treasure of heaven is yours. And the only way that we can make him God is when our authority and self-preservation is challenged, we give it up to God. Talking about self and self-preservation, A.W. Tozer once described self-hyphenated sin in this way. And one of the authors kind of uh, reading off of the, uh, the, the description that A.W. Tozer had made, he made a blog post about this. And I think it's really, really um, good. And so let's just read this kind of together. He says this. It's a long list of things like self-worship, self-focus, self-centeredness. You get the idea. At the core, of course, all of these things is a focus on the self. And at the end of all, these, uh, all this is an extreme commitment to self-preservation. That is the commitment at any cost to keep and protect what one is, has, and has achieved. See, on the surface, this comm commitment to self-preservation might easily be written off as responsibility. I mean, let's be honest, you have to look out for yourself. Only a fool doesn't take precautions to protect himself or herself, especially in a world when people would so quickly and easily take advantage of you. And yet, self-preservation is for the Christian one of the most seductive and easily justified means of arrogance. We are not self-sustaining creatures, and we are not meant to think that we are. And in fact, for the Christian, growing more aware of our deep need of God is one of the ironic marks of spiritual maturity. And as we grow up in Christ, we actually become more and more aware of our great need for God. This is one of the reversals that happen in the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of the world. In the kingdom of the world, grown-ups are more self-reliant. But in the kingdom of God, spiritual grown-ups are exactly the opposite. They are more aware of their of their need for God. This is, I think, one of the reasons why Jesus taught us to pray for our daily bread, not the bread for next week, not the bread for retirement, but the bread for today. Implied in that request is an acknowledgement of the fact that no matter how secure we might seem based upon our health, bank accounts, or our careers, we're still dependent on God for everything we need on a daily basis. And he concludes with this. This kind of daily praying, daily praying is one of the ways we fight against the pull of self-preservation. Let's not make the prideful error today of believing in ourselves and committing ourselves to self-preservation. Let's instead take the road of humility for this is the road of good news. We actually don't have the toil uh, don't have to toil and worry about preserving ourselves for God is the one who sustained and we can trust him to do just that.
So who is the gospel not for? It's for those people who are in it for themselves, are only worried about their position and their power without the life of, uh, without the help of Jesus. And what is the way for us to co combat against the self-preservation and pridefulness? He says to pray in humility, to pray that the cross of Jesus Christ will become all the more so that we could depend on God daily. In the scriptures, that we, we, it, it, it reads that, that we may become less, that he may become greater. With that being said, this leads to my second point. We went over who isn't the gospel for. Now we'll be looking at who the gospel is for. Now from the story that we actually read today, you know, we have to think if anybody, theoretically, if anybody is deserving of the gospel is actually King Herod. Why? Because he is the king of the Jews. He, he, is, he is one of the chosen people of God. If, and on the contrary, if anybody in the story does not deserve the gospel, it's actually the Magi, it's the wise men. Why? Why is that? Why is it that they don't deserve it? Because they are actually pagan worshipers. They're astrologers, like they study stars and stuff, right? They, they were considered heretics, false worshipers, right? I'm not saying that if you like to look at stars in the middle of the night, I'm not saying that you're, you're a false worshiper, you're a pagan. I'm not, I'm not saying that. Look at all the skies and the stars that you want. It doesn't, it doesn't matter, right? But, but, but all I am saying is that the, the term magi or magoi in Greek is literally trans, uh, translated as a magician or a sorcerer. And in fact, to the Jewish people in this time age, um, these people were people who used demonic powers to perform magic. They were believed that the, uh, these magis, these quote-unquote wise men, used demonic powers to perform magic. Now, to their eyes, to, to the Jewish people, uh, people's eyes, they were very far from the kingdom of God. They were not the ones that you would actually favor. See, these people were outcasted, shunned by society, hated by the Jews. And most significantly, most significantly, these wise men were Gentiles. What does Gentile mean? It just means that they were not a Jew. They were not a chosen people of God, right? So whenever we're talking about the characteristics of a person who is not of God, I mean, talk about wise men, a wise men. They hit all the marks, right? But we have to ask this question again. But who is the gospel for? Who is the gospel for? It's not Herod. But it's for these Gentile, pagan, devil-worshipping people. See, what is interesting is that the book of Matthew, the author Matthew, does not disclose about, uh, uh, does not give really any information about these wise men. You know, they, they, don't, they don't disclose who they are. We don't know their names, where they're exactly from. We just know that they're from the East. He just said these wise men are from the East, right? We don't know if there were three. We don't know if there were 15. We know nothing about these people, but all we know is that they came from the East because they saw a star and they knew that a king was going to be born. I mean, this is crazy. Think about it, right? Think about it with me for a second, right? Herod, the king of the Jew, the chosen people of God, doesn't even know that Jesus is born. On the contrary, yet these devil-loving, devil-worshipping, pagan worshipers are the ones who are seeking out the Savior of the world. Right? 
God's people ignores the Messiah, while pagans eagerly seek Christ out. Herod had interest in killing Jesus, but these pagan worshippers had interest in worshipping him. But these pagans, yeah, yeah, how different is that? How ironic is that from a people that you would expect that will worship God would actually want to kill God from a people that would actually you will believe that will kill God would want to worship God. How different, how ironic, right? But you know what is even more shocking? That these devil worshiping pagans are the first guests to, to celebrate Jesus's birth. Now you got to, you gotta, you gotta imagine with me, these people were not friends. They were enemies. It's like, it's like having like a random guy that you met at Albertson six months ago, or you don't even know, knocking on your door saying, hey, I'm here to celebrate your son. What? They're not welcome. They're enemies, right? Now, if you have a newborn baby, um, you know, you're very careful with, you know, who you even bring to, you know, come and see your newborn baby, right? Uh, uh, let alone your friends, right? But nobody, nobody is just going to be like, hey, you know what, for to celebrate my son, what I'm going to do is to call a random, you know, voodoo priest in Africa to come and celebrate my son. No, nobody in their right mind would do that, Right? If anyone should have been at the party, it was not the Magi, not the wise men, but it should have been Herod itself. See, we only know Herod as this evil guy who like killed his wife. That's all true. But on the other hand, he actually did a lot of great things for God or for the people. He rebuilt, rebuilt the uh, temple of Jerusalem, right? So when people saw Herod, he was like this, uh, this superstar. Like he was respected. He was, he was liked by many, many people. If anybody should have been at the party to celebrate Jesus, it should have been Herod. You know what it would have been like when Herod came to uh, your, uh, your son or daughter's birthday party? You know what it would have been like? It would have been like Matthew McConaughey coming to visit your son or daughter. I mean, that's crazy, right? But instead, you know who came to celebrate your son and your daughter's first birthday? Saw. Nassau, it, the clown from it, right? But ironically, these are the people that God actually sends, that God leads to come and to see this newborn king. It raises the question, why? Why is it that the first people to see Jesus are not the Jews, but these devil-worshipping pagan worshipers. We have to ask why, why? See, I want to say it is no accident that the author Matthew writes the Great Commission as the last words in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, go into all the nations and preach the Gospel. See, Matthew positions his whole gospel with a focus on the nations. He begins the gospel by showing the nations, the wise men coming to see the Messiah. And he ends his gospel by telling us to go and tell them about the Messiah. See, the core message, the core gospel message is that Jesus has come for the world and for the nations. What this is teaching us today is that Jesus was not a Jewish savior. And in fact, Jesus is not an American savior. But he is the savior of all. Of all. 
So Matthew, the, the author of this book, repeatedly proves this point that Jesus is for all by including a Gentile Roman centurion, Gentile Canaanite woman, woman of question of, of, of repute in the genealogy of Jesus. He wants to make it so clear that the barriers that separate people from each other do not separate them from the God's love. Whenever we understand this truth, this should challenge us to consider who we might, uh, who we cons- who we might consider to be unworthy. This might be welfare mothers. This might be kids with baggy pants or saggy pants, maybe extra tight pants like me. Smokers, Muslims. So who is the gospel for? Who is the gospel for? It's simple. Gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. Galatians 3.28, it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. So who is the gospel for? It's for everyone. John 3.16, For God so loved the world as to give his only begotten son, that whoever, whoever will believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. Who is the gospel for? Everyone. Everyone. So to God, there are no racial, social, economical boundaries when it comes to God's kingdom and God's love. So God does not care about a care if you're black, or if you're white, if you're Asian, Hispanic, red, white, blue, or whatever you may be. He doesn't care how far you have been, how dirty you think you are, and there is nothing that you have done in the past, present, and future that could separate you from the love of Christ. The gospel is for you. The gospel is for everyone. But there is one condition. There's one condition. Who is the gospel for? The gospel is for everyone. Yes. But everyone that is willing to humble themselves and to bow at the feet of Christ. The gospel is for those, for everyone that is willing to humble themselves and to bow at the feet of Jesus. This leads me to my last point. So how should we respond to this gospel? How should we respond? It's simple. Verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw a child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. How should we respond to the gospel? It is to fall down and to worship Christ. How do you know that the gospel is for you? We know that the gospel is for you as long as you humble yourself, fall down at his feet, and to worship him as your Lord and Savior. You know what is so different between Herod and the wise men? Is that the wise men, they let 
go of what they have been taught, of what they have worshipped previously. They laid down their wisdom uh, that they acquired through all of the years in their lives as soon as they met the true wisdom of the world. They put down their rights. They put down their pride to put Jesus Christ, this baby on a manger, upon the throne so that he could, they could be the Lord of their, he could be the Lord of their lives where he truly belongs. R.C. Ryle said this about the wise men. They saw no miracles to convince them. They heard no teaching to persuade them. They saw nothing but a newborn infant, helpless and weak, needing a mother's care like any of us. And yet when they saw that infant, they believed and saw the divine Savior of the world. We read no greater faith than this in the whole volume of the Bible. Church, I, I want to ask you and I want to challenge you. Are we willing, are we humble enough, are we, are we humble enough to lay down our rights, to lay down what I think is right about my life, to lay down what I have known at the feet of Christ so that he may be the Lord of all? Church, it is our uh, desire and we pray for you guys every single week, desiring that you will come at the feet of Christ, of knowing of this good Savior for you. Knowing that you will come to know the love of Christ, the love of Christ that was shown upon the cross, to love of Christ that was shown upon a, a, a baby that was born under the shadow of the cross, to see that to become true, we're praying for you. We're praying that we, we would worship him not because of what he could technically do for us. Yes, he could do a lot for us, but for, but for who he is. The God that we kind of worship is a, is, a God, is a worthy God. He is a king that is worthy of our worship, but yet he is so gracious that whenever we do give him worship, he gives us with this presence to be with us. He is a holy king that, that knows no sin, but he, in fact, he is a loving king that became sin so that whoever will believe in him will become the righteousness of God, we serve a mighty king who is so great, so great, but yes, so personal that he calls us our own. This is the king that we bow down to. This is the king that we adore. This is the king that we worship. This is the king that we want to magnify in this season and to the nations. See, whenever I, we kind of talk about all of these things that we talked about, you might be like, you know what, Pastor Jen, you know, I knew it. Christianity is all about what I need to do, what I can't do, and all that. And you, and it's fair that you have those kind of questions and arguments. But I want to encourage you in this way, that our God that we serve wouldn't tell you to do something that he hasn't done for himself. See, what Christ did himself, he, he actually went before you. He dwelt among the very people that he created. He was crucified among the people that he created. He humbled himself and became nothing. He wasn't caring about his self-preservation. He wasn't caring about his own pride. What he cared about was his own creation would come to worship the Father. 
He went before us. He went before us on the cross to make a way before the Father. And we have a Savior and who did just that. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. You know, there are many, many religions in the world, um, um, in, in the world that we kind of live in today, right? Often it is said that, you know, they, they often describe religion as this a, a, a big, big mountain. And somewhere along the top of the mountain is where God is. And people say, when you want to get up to the top of the mountain, there are many different ways that you can get there. And one would say, one religion would say, you need to live a very good life and do a lot of great things. And hopefully you'll get to the very top. Another religion says you have to become a monk to get to the very top. Another religion would say, follow all these rules in the book and hopefully you will get to the top to meet God. But at the very end of all of this religion is that nobody makes it to the very top. But I want to present to you this. On the other hand, unlike any other religions in the world, this God named Jesus, he knew, he knew that the people will not be able to make it to the very top where God is. So instead of looking down at the people, scoffing at them and laughing at them, instead of that, he takes a step down and makes his way down to where the people are. Not only that, not only did he come down to, from the mountaintops to the, where the people are, he took the heaven from the mountain and he brought it to the people. This is why we can't, we can't compare any other religions to uh, any other religion or therapy to Christianity because all religion is all about what I need to do to hopefully reach to God. But Christianity is actually never about what I need to do, but rather resting in the truth of what Christ has done for us. See, there is nothing that you can do that I can do. There isn't, there isn't enough good works that we can do that we could offer him to be where God is. There's not enough good works that you can do to reach him. And even if you think that you can, you will have more days that you fail than you actually succeed. So it is actually really simple. How do I get, how do I know Jesus? How do I accept this gospel? It is really simple. What Jesus is expecting out of you is not money. What Jesus is expecting out of you is not what you could offer to him. What Jesus is wanting from you is simple. It's you. You to come before him humbled and surrendered at the gift of the cross. To surrender at the gift of the cross. Church, the gospel becomes alive in our hearts whenever we don't care about what I want, what I can do. But the gospel becomes alive and more real to us whenever we start to focus on the things of God and what God has already accomplished on the cross. 
I pray that our desires and our, our daily devotion and our daily desires would be, God, would you humble me? If there are any part in my life that I wanted to take authority over, that I wanted to change, uh, take charge of, if, if there were any part in my life where I wanted to be the God of my own life, God, would you crush it? Would you humble me so that all I have is you and that I depend on you every single moment of my life? Church, I pray that this will be the prayer for all of us. I pray that this will be the prayer for all of us as we just think about ending 2020 and heading into 2021. I pray, I really pray that this will be the cry and the desire for all of us. I want to I wanna just kind of encourage, I take this time just to encourage uh, for all those people who are already a believer. Um, for many of us, um, you know, this pandemic season is, is very difficult. Um, you might be depressed. You might be really lonely. Uh, you may feel as if there's nobody around you to understand. Um, you feel all alone. Um, your, your faith is struggling. You're doubting. You're, some of you guys are angry. Um, some of you guys are just deeply, deeply sad. And some of you guys are, um, yeah, are just dealing with great loss in your life. And for, and for me, uh, me too. Um, if you're struggling, hey, I want to encourage you. I, I, you know, it's been a really difficult year for me too. Me too. You know, this year, um, you know, not only, you know, Corona things happen, but, you know, um, this past summer, um, my wife and I, we lost our father-in-law um, due to COVID. And it's become very, very difficult. Um, these holiday seasons is not, not, not easy for us. But I want to encourage you in this way, that whenever you're... In these times of darkness, I pre we pray, our staff is praying that God will be the light in your life. That whenever you're feeling down and alone and afraid and scared and frustrated and angry, I, we pray, we're praying that you will just continue to cling to the feet of Christ. We're praying that you will hold on to the word, that it will become the anchor to your soul that you can depend your life upon. Keep pushing on. He is not against you. He is for you. He is not letting all these things ha to happen to you to, 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 to punish you or to keep you down. But all these things are happening. I don't know why, but we know that it is going to work out for the benefit of you and for the glory of Him. So trust Him. Keep trusting in Him. And you are not alone. We serve a God who is God, Emmanuel, God with us. He is there with you. He is interceding for you to continue this race. So press on. And now I just want to take a moment for those people who, that are tuning in for the very first time. And if you're not a believer, hey, I just want to thank you for tuning in. And um, I know how not easy it is to tune into something that you either have left uh, or you actually never tried out. It's a daunting task, um, but I just want to really just honor you and just giving you a, a praise for just taking the next step just to even explore this thing called Christianity. But I don't want to stop at this whole sermon without, without giving you an invitation.
So if you are not a believer and at any point of the sermon, you feel that there was some kind of conviction within your heart where you don't want to live a life of your own, but you want to live a life for Christ. If any of this sermon or anything that I have said to you was moving or it convicted you, I want to assure you that it wasn't me. It wasn't me that who spoke, but it was a spirit of God that was moving within your heart. So I want to give this opportunity that if you want to start a new life, if you want to start a new journey in this life called, uh, in this thing called life with Jesus Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to accept him as your Lord and Savior today. So one of the pastors will put up, um, I, uh, I give my life, I commit my life to Christ button. And if you want to give your life to Christ, go ahead and click on that. But if you feel even more courageous, if you have even more faith, I want to encourage you to press on it again. We, and that will lead you to one of our pastors to pray with you and to walk with you and to give you the next steps as you follow and as you start your new life with Christ. Church, I pray that as we are just going into this Advent season, you know, we could be uh, bombarded by, you know, what we can do and all the events. But I really pray that we will be able to really reflect of what Christ has done upon the cross. That we will become less, that He will become greater in this time of season. Because what we need in the world and what we need in our lives is not more of ourselves, but what we need is more of Christ. And that begins by a humble heart that is willing to give full authority and power to Christ. Let's all pray. God, I thank you so much for this word. God, I thank you so much. Um, that, that you have sent your son, Jesus Christ, to show us a way, a different way to live our lives. God, we are so grateful um, of all that you are and all that you will continue to be. God, we thank you that in uh, the midst of darkness that we could hold on to you as our anchor. God, in the midst of darkness, we're thankful that you are the light. God, in uh, the midst of my uh, tragedy and sadness, God, we thank you because you are my joy. So, Father, Lord, I pray that you will just uh, continue to renew the joy of our salvation that we have in you and continue to do your work in us. We love you, God, and we thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.